0: A man is walking along a beach early one morning and he sees a young lad there. The boy is picking up starfish and throwing them into the sea and he asks the lad what he's doing. I'm helping the starfish says the boy. If they get stranded on the beach they won't survive in the morning sun. But the on for miles, replies the man. There must be thousands of starfish on this beach alone. What difference can your efforts make? And the boy looked at the starfish in his hand and said, well I've made a difference for this one and threw it back into the sea. I sometimes feel that that's a good metaphor for life. We have more access to more information than any other generation. And yet sometimes that doesn't feel like much of a blessing. It just makes us more aware of the enormity of the problems facing our world. From the environmental crisis, the global pandemic, the issues with which we are bombarded every day, they just seem so huge. And we wonder what difference we can make in any of it. And that's why charities and other organisations often encourage us by telling what a little giving can do. Yes, they know the enormity of the need will overwhelm us. But £10 will feed a family for a month or £15 will ensure that a village gets fresh water, that kind of thing. The problems are huge. But our actions can make a difference even if it feels like helping a single starfish. We've been exploring the fruit of the Spirit as described by an early Jesus follower called Paul who wrote letters which make up a large chunk of our New Testament. In one of them to some Galatian Christians he writes, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. And today we're turning our attention to faithfulness. But the fruit of the Spirit don't stand in isolation. They, They kind of link up. They overlap. And today I want to follow on a little bit from what I talked about last week. I spoke about Goodness. And I spoke about it in a very particular way, about finding our place in God's longing for the world. Uh, the same Paul who wrote Galatians wrote another letter called Ephesians and he spoke about us being saved for good works, which God had in mind for us to do. Each of us has choices that can make our world a little more or less as God intended. And I mentioned a quote from the writer Frederick Buechner, in which he said, Your calling is where your greatest joy and the world's deepest needs meet. But we humans can have a bit of a crisis of identity. We can have this sense of greatness and our destiny is in our hands and our lives matter and have a purpose but we can also feel small, inadequate, insignificant. We can live with this sense of what difference can I make and having a sense of calling is one thing but taking it up and sticking with it, especially when it becomes a grind or a struggle, when you're tempted to wonder what the point is, whether any of it matters or whether it'll be worth it, that requires faith and faithfulness. Eugene Peterson, the man who wrote the message translation of the Bible, has a great definition of faithfulness. He describes it as a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. And that captures two ideas that are central to faithfulness. One is that it's about commitment, endurance, stickability to a cause, to a person or to a name that really matters to you. And the other is the recognition that we're in this for the long haul. And that's important because over the long haul there will be good times and bad. Seasons when it's going well and it all makes sense and others when it's just a bit more of a grind and a struggle. There'll be mountain tops and valleys, there'll be times when you're enthused and excited and times when you feel disillusioned and despondent. And faithfulness is about keeping going, being true to the aim throughout all those seasons. It's about putting one foot in front of the other again and again and keeping going in all circumstances. Faithfulness summed up beautifully in the song by t Boone Burnett with which I started. No moment is too short, no obstacle too tall, no sorrow is too big, no feeling is too small. We walk the razor's edge, our backs against the wall. And we pledge ourselves to this, acknowledging that we are in this for the long haul. But that's okay, because forever isn't any time at all. There's something quite important about this fruit of the Spirit. The word Paul uses for faithfulness is the word pistis. And this is quite an important word, especially for Protestant Christianity. To some extent, the Protestant Reformation turned on how this word was translated. For it's not always translated the same way, nor is it always immediately obvious how it should be translated. Sometimes pistis is translated faith. For example, in Romans 1.17, which mattered so much to Martin Luther, we read, The righteous will live by faith. Or in Ephesians 2.8 we read, it's by grace you're saved through faith. And both times, it's that same word. But this time, it's translated faithfulness. But it could just as easily be translated as the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith. Now, I understand when preachers start off down a path like this, it can be a cue to switch off for a while. Or in an age of YouTube service, you might go and stick the kettle on and hope I've got something interesting to say by the time you get back. But there's something quite important here. To a certain extent, in modern Western Christianity, these two words, faith and faithfulness, have become disconnected or separated faith in our tradition is something about us and what we have it's mainly linked to ideas we accept or believe in our heads whereas faithfulness that's about practice about how we live about where our loyalties lie and this disconnect is why some people get into a tangle when they come up against say passages like ones and james which talks about Faith and wax, and faith without works is dead. But the thing is, that's not really what faith is all about. The two words faith and faithfulness are much more closely connected. Faith isn't something you don't have or do have. Everyone has faith in something. We might not recognise it as a religious faith, But we all have faith in something. But our faith doesn't always necessarily lie where we claim it does. What we truly believe will be revealed by our actions. What you truly believe will determine your actions. You will be faithful to the thing or person in whom you have faith. For example, many people will claim that they believe more funding should go to the NHS. Between general elections, poll after poll revealed huge majorities saying they would be more than happy to pay extra tax to ensure the NHS was properly funded. It's a point Jonathan Dimbleby made repeatedly when he was host of Radio 4's Any Questions. So you'd think that a policy to increase taxes to fund the NHS better would be a real vote winner, wouldn't you? But oddly enough, it isn't. It seems many people believe in a better funded NHS all the way to the privacy of the ballot boxes where their real preference is revealed. You can't separate faith from faithfulness. You will be faithful to whatever you have put your faith in. Because real faith is actually about allegiance. That's why the central claim of the Christian faith is Jesus is Lord. Faith in Jesus means pledging your allegiance to him. And that's why Jesus says that the wise one who builds his house on the rock isn't the one who hears his words. It's not the one who thinks, oh, that sounds quite wise. It's not the one who thinks, oh, it would be good if people lived that way. It's the one who does it. Because it's possible to be able to tick off a creed or a statement of faith and give her assent to the whole lot without it making a great deal of difference in your life. Meanwhile, others will wrestle with much of what they're supposed to believe. But they do put their trust in Jesus and faithfully keep hanging in there, even on the day when they wonder whether any of this matters, if it ever made sense, and if it really is going anywhere. And often I find those are the people who say they really struggle with the faith thing, but actually turn out to have more than they realize. It's revealed in their actions, in their faithfulness, in a long obedience in the same direction. But throughout this series i've been trying to highlight how the fruit of the spirit is not something we're supposed to work up in ourselves this hasn't been a do more try harder type series instead it's been about opening ourselves to the love of god and allowing god to work in our lives producing godly characteristics in our lives all of the traits that go towards the fruit of the spirit are attributes of god none more so than faithfulness. The scriptures are littered with references to God's faithfulness. Last week we had a song based on Deuteronomy 32 3 and 4. Ascribe greatness to our God the Rock, a God of faithfulness and without injustice. It's littered all over the Psalms. Psalm 25. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful. Psalm 33. The word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. Psalm 36, your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. But they didn't just declare this in the good times when they were on top of the world. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. It's one of the most popular hymns we sing. And those words are directly lifted from the Bible. And I wonder how many of us really know or appreciate where they came from. They're found in a book called Lamentations. And I wonder how many of us have read Lamentations. It's not a book we turn to very often. For the most part, I suspect that if the Bible reading for a particular morning was from Lamentations, you wouldn't be particularly looking forward to the sermon. These days, you might be tempted to think, you know what, Andrew, I think the duck talk was quite enough for me today. Lamentations emerged from the darkest moment in Israel's history when Jerusalem was destroyed, the temple was burnt down, the people were sent into exile. They interpreted it all as a sign of a consequence of their own sinfulness. They thought it was down to the fact that they had been unfaithful to God. And yet smack in the middle of that appalling darkness comes a single shaft of light. An affirmation that even when they were unfaithful, God remained faithful and could still be trusted even when everything they took for granted was falling apart. The God of faithfulness is revealed most fully in Jesus who remained faithful to his calling when at every turn others sought to knock him off course. Satan, his disciples, his family, even Pilate, all offered him another way. But Jesus remained faithful because in him God was being faithful to his promise to redeem and rescue the world. Jesus is the ultimate man of faithfulness who lived a life of long obedience in one direction. In Jesus we encounter a God who has pledged his love to us and for whom forever isn't any time at all. Last week we saw how goodness cropped up in loads of Paul's letters. This week the same is true of faithfulness. So to the Corinthians, Paul says, God is faithful. To the Thessalonians, he says, the one who called you is faithful and the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you. Most beautifully, he says to Timothy, even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. The Bible is a character study. In a God who is faithful. Faithfulness is central to who God is and what he wants to nurture in our lives. But how does he do it? This belief in the faithfulness of God, it wasn't just blind faith. It was based on experience and memory. When Israel needed to believe in the faithfulness of God, they went back to memory of the things that God had done for them in the past. They recalled how again and again God had helped them and been with them and rescued them and everything else. And far more often it was despite them than because of them. However often they had been faithful, faithful, faithless, God had remained faithful. And because God had proved faithful in the past, it gave them the trust that he would be in the future. And something we can do is immerse ourselves in the story of Scripture. But we can also listen to our own lives, to pay attention to our own stories, to those occasions when God has been with us and God has been faithful. When I was doing my spiritual direction course, one of the things I was required to do was keep a journal. Some people are natural journalers. I'm not one of them. I really struggle with that side of things. I'm busy enough experiencing stuff without writing about it. But I found ways of doing it, which whilst probably not exactly what they had in mind, did help me at least complete the coursework. But as I go back through the stuff, I'm reminded of so many things that would so easily have slipped by unnoticed. Or around my house or around my office, I keep little objects that remind me of situations which showed me that God was faithful. And I also try to remember and relish the good, the times I have made a difference to someone, however small. The times I have responded to that inner voice calling me to do something, which often at the time seemed utterly stupid. But God used it to make a difference. And I don't relish them to make myself feel good. I just know that often enough I'm going to mess up. Or I'll find myself in a period where it's all just such a grind and I wonder what the point of it all is. And those good moments remind me that there are starfish in the ocean for whom God has used me to make a difference. And even when it's not the good bits, there are times when I'm reminded that it was in the struggle rather than the good times that God did his best work. Those were the times that God shaped me. That was when I was in the struggle, and was forced to lean into God. And when I did, he proved faithful. And that allows God to stir in me, the faith that empowers the next faithful step forward, to keep up that long obedience in one direction. Because when you seek to take your place in God's world, there will be times when you wonder, will it make any difference or if there's any point? And I'm reminded of a line from the Talmud. Do not be daunted by the enormity of the world's grief. Do justly now, love mercy now, walk humbly now. You are not obligated to complete the work, but neither are you free to abandon it. And as we are faithful, In the little things which God has given us, the little bits of good add up to overwhelm the world. They matter because they're joining in the work of a God who is faithful and has pledged himself to us. A God for whom no moment is too short, no obstacle too tall. No sorrow is too big, no feeling is too small. When we walk the razor's edge with our backs against the wall, He's pledged his love to us, and forever isn't any time at all. Grace and peace. Amen.